Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I believe the greatest way that we will demonstrate the glory of Christ through us is when we live an obedient life. If I could say it a different way, when we live a life where Christ is living his life out through us, that we are now Christ-like in our thought, talk, and walk. Now, that glorious Christ of what he did for us on the cross gives us that power to do it. The glories of Christ that is to us that we can experience through his word and creation and the knowledge of him, and even in the future, we can't even grab all of that yet. That all of Christ-likeness is now in us, and when we let that come through us, the whole world then can see the glories of Christ through the way we live, even in this fragile, frail, weak, depraved body and mind that we have. Now, where do I get some of that from? I, I like what Jesus had to say. Let's go back to the passage. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to him all, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that you may know, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth. Here it is. Here it is. Having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you by doing the work you've given me to do. So I guess my question is, is will you do what God wants you to do? And by doing that, that is how the glory of God is shown through you and out. Just like Jesus says, I've glorified you on the earth by completing what you wanted me to do. That's all part of obeying the Lord. And you can see that all through Scripture. Now, I said all that to come back to, do you know what you're supposed to do? Do you know what your calling is in, in life would be? I, 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 that's, a, that's a very important question. My first calling in life is that I would be sanctified, I'd be holy, I'd live a separated life unto Him. I would be growing in my knowledge of Him and grace that I would be manifesting character traits of Christ. That is what I'd be doing. But now the next step is while I'm doing that, God then will be directing me into my particular place of, of service. For some, if you're married, your calling is your family. Not only, but part of that is. So now are you fulfilling the work God's called you to do as a mom or a dad? You young people, especially an older brother, older sister, are you fulfilling the role of the older sibling in that family that God would have you to be? Have you even asked him, what does God want out of you for your family to model what it means to submit to authority by you being the model to submit to your parents, by you being the one who models submission also to the youngest one in the family by carrying their book bag for him? What, what is your calling? And then when you're seeking a college to go to, is it just because it's Christian or cheap or close? Or is it this school has what I need from the book or the training or the skill set that I'm sensing God might be calling me into. Well, I don't know what that is. Well, you might need to find out what your spiritual gift is. You might need to talk to your parents or a spiritual authority or a whole team of, of advisors to find out what direction you might be going. All of that to be self-discovering that you are not a snowflake in the blizzard of Christian humanity. That's how we demonstrate the glory of God to us, for us, through us. By completing what God has called us to do. And I hope you don't give up. Boy, this right there tells me suicide is never on the agenda. That's never an option. We never complete it by what we do ourselves. We complete it when God says it's done. So I hope that we will want to do that.
Now let's go back to the verse again because I want to talk a little bit about eternal life. I'm going to kind of get into some deep weeds here and then hope to get out of it. Go in verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, even as God the Father gave God the Son authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Interesting how active the sovereignty of God is in a person's faith experience. God gives to Christ. Christ gives to the Father. All those that he has given to have eternal life. There is so much in the sovereignty of God in that. And then you have later on about the free will of man where he still needs to believe. So how do I make sense of that? I, I really don't. I do believe that God does have those that he knows that will be saved and that message will be presented and that person will come to faith in Christ. I also believe that whoever God uh, calls, that he also gives that free will to choose and that person must trust Christ as Savior. Now verse 3 is the key verse I want you to look at. Look at this one. It says, this is eternal life. You want to define eternal life? This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, if you want to, you can circle the true God and then circle Jesus Christ. And you can now see that they're referring to the same person. The true God and Jesus Christ, they're all the same, that God wants them to know each of those. Jesus wants them to know each of them equally. Now, that being said, what is eternal life? Now, look up here, if you will. Some people, when they present the gospel, they do it in such a way as, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? I don't want you to go to hell, so I'm going to present you the gospel. Is it true when you trust Christ as Savior, you have eternal life and you don't go to hell? The answer is yes. But God is so much more wanting us to have way beyond what I will say gingerly, fire insurance. He doesn't want us merely to have fire insurance. Now, I don't want anybody to go to hell, but I'm not just motivated that they get saved so they don't go to hell because it's just one part of it. It's such a minor part of it because part of eternal life is that I may, watch this, know God and know Jesus Christ. So if you have the choice, wouldn't you want to have fire insurance? True. But also to know God? I certainly would want that. And that's what he says. Eternal life is not just the eternality of life like the quantity of life, but it is also eternal life knowing God in Christ, which now takes it from a quantity to a quality of life of really knowing Him. Now stay with me. So when someone trusts Christ as Savior, you don't get eternal life when you die. A lot of people say when you die, that's when you have eternal life. No, you get eternal life the moment you trust in Christ as your Savior. When you receive Him, you receive life. And when you receive him and life, that means you have eternal life right then. Now, your body will die. Soul and spirit, that's going to be resurrected. You have eternal life with that. Your body will die. Like Carol says, when I die, you're going to look at the casket. She's going to say, that's just the shell of Stan. The real nut's gone. Well, that's true. The real me, soul and spirit's gone. But now, it's not just that. It's now this wonderful privilege of knowing Christ having the capacity to begin understanding his book like no one else can accurately understand his book. Because this book is really nothing more than a doorway into the knowledge of who Christ is. So you have the living Christ, but you also have the written Christ right here. And how beautiful that is. That's all part of eternal life. Two weeks ago on Sunday, we had a gentleman come up here that we gave a, a plaque to and some money to, and a special certificate to, because he concluded over 60 years of Christian radio broadcasting through our ministry here. 
His wife sat over there. A week later, she collapsed. Cancer through her system. Brain cancer in her, in her head with multiple spots. And she is clinging to life right now. This dear woman, Joan, she has eternal life. And she also has that intimacy with God. So while her body is gone, the real Joan is still very much alive and will be even more alive when she's with the Lord and how beautiful that is. So my question is not how long you live, it's not how you live, it's who you're going to live your life for. All right, let's drop down to verse 6 now. He says this, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them. And truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. And then he now begins in verse 9. So now I ask on their behalf. Now I'm stopping with that for a moment because I want to unpack the other. Do you remember how I began this message earlier on? I said, you know, when you begin to pray, what would be some of the things that you might want to pray for your kids about or the people that are in your ministry? It's kind of veiled in here, but I believe you'll understand. Jesus is about to say, this is what I'm asking. And later on in the same passage, he's going to say, but I don't ask for this. So he's about ready to talk to God about his men. But before he does... He rehearses to God the Father all that he did before he asked him. Now, I don't believe he did that so that God, would, God the Father would say, Oh, you're a good boy, son. I'm going to go ahead and answer that. I think he did that one more time to reveal what was the work of Christ on the earth at that time specifically for those people. Now, applicably for today, these might be things that you would want to have in your life to make sure you have done while you're asking God the Father for the people you're going to begin to pray for. So in other words, check your own life out first before you pray for them. So what did Jesus check out, in a sense, for us, what he did? And so this is a great list, a great checkoff list for you and me. Are you ready? Let's go through this list. I put it in your worship folder there so you can have it. He said, first of all, I revealed you to them. God the Son said to the Father, he said, Father, I revealed you, the Father, to them. So here's my question. As a parent, and this doesn't mean you fail, so don't walk out of here with a guilt trip, but it is a question to ask, are you revealing to your kids the Godhead? Are you teaching them? Are you modeling? Are you reminding them? Are you bringing their thoughts back to them, to him, to the Godhead, so to speak? Are you reminding them that they know God? So that, again, cranks up the volume on your responsibility spiritually with your kids. We always, we're really glad that we have the powerful man upstairs. We can ask him for stuff for our kids, especially when they're in a jam or they need money to go to college. Yeah, I got all that, but why would we want so much for them while we have neglected what we should be doing? So the first thing is, he said, I revealed them to you. So are you committed to revealing the Godhead to your kids or to your church or to your Bible study or to your new mate or whatever he he or she might be. That's your commitment. Then he says, a little bit further, he says, I taught them to obey your word. Now that's kind of implied in verse 6. He says, I manifested your name to the men you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now to keep the word 
They had to know the word. In order for them to know the word, they had to have a teacher of the word. And their primary mentor and, and modeler was Christ. So he was teaching them the word. So I look to you and say, I know you're teaching them life skills, how to tie their shoelaces, maybe how to uh, use the uh, uh, appliances in the, in the kitchen. You might teach them how to drive. You might teach them how to throw a football or kick a soccer ball. All that is good. None of that's to take away. I hope you teach your kids all that. I hope you teach them about how to handle money and relationships and dealing when they sin and how to ask forgiveness. But in this point, have you taught them God's word? Watch this, watch this, watch this. And the importance of obeying God's word from their heart. I'm going to crank it up another step here. Have you led them to Christ to a saving knowledge of Christ? Because this is going on the radio. A lot of people are listening. Are you absolutely certain that your son or daughter or the people you're working with, the people you're responsible for and the spiritual influence, that they have heard the gospel, they know the gospel, and they've come to faith in Christ? You can't make them believe, but you've worked very hard to keep probing them with the gospel. If you have, watch this now. Have you then brought them to a point that it's not just enough to believe in Christ, but they now need to recognize that he is Lord who died and rose again, Christ, and now they have committed to the Lordship of Christ, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because they are saved, have they done that? Because if they have committed to the Lordship of Christ, or they're on the road of that full 100% surrender, they're more apt to listen to and obey God's word because now they have a reason to do that. Not to get saved again, but to honor God the Father. So again, you're teaching them God's Word. This is even before you're actually praying for them. I don't want to separate it too far apart. You've got to do all of this and years later, then pray for them. But I want you to know that you're checking yourself for these things. So he did that. And then he says, I showed them that everything comes from you. Follow along. Continue. It's beautiful here. Now in verse 7, he says, Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. Now, obviously, it's because he's the son. Everything that God gives gives to the son, he's also given to you and me. That's called a joint heir with Christ. All right, then it says, given me is from you. Underline the word from you. So now what I'm saying is, do your kids know that everything you have has come from the Lord? Now, it, it, you, you might have gotten it because you're smart and you got a good job and you're a good salesperson, you made a lot of money or whatever. You might have got it as an inheritance. It doesn't really matter. However you got it, God gave you the capacity to get it. Whether it's your skill set or diligence, you didn't jump from job to job to job, you had good interpersonal skills, How, whatever you got, God gave it to you. Do your kids really know it's all from the Lord? Now that is another whole series of messages. Not only do they know it, if it has come from the Lord, how should they treat that which came from the Lord? Isn't that another sermon? Okay, so do they know that? So while you're going to pray for all this other stuff, are you packing them full with these kinds of principles? And this is, I gave them the words that you gave me. It's kind of already said again, implied there, but I love that when he says here, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they have received them and truly understand that I came forth from you and they believe that you have sent me. I guess what I'd like to maybe unpack with that is it's not just enough do they know their Bible, but it says that they know that I've come from you. So let's take it up to this level. Do they have a level of apologetics? In other words, they not only just believe it, they don't, it's not just they, 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 they don't know what to believe, they know why they believe what they believe. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, in order for all that to occur, that means we have to clear our plate of all the good stuff that we have going on in our lives as Christians so we have room now for the great stuff so we can help these people out. Now we're not playing church any longer. We're not playing Christian any longer. None of this is to put you on a guilt trip. It's just to, I want to give you the grace. I hope you know I love you. But at the same time, I want to give you the truth. So all of us are continually growing. 
And so I gave them the words that you gave me of who I am and why I came and all that. And then the last is, they believe that you sent me. I bet that was a, a smile on Jesus' face. He already knew it before the foundation of the world that they would be born and where they would be and who he would pick and all of that kind of stuff, but to know that they do believe. You know, nothing gets me more excited that when I know someone who doesn't know the Lord and then they come to faith in Jesus Christ, I get so excited because I know it's nothing that I've done. I know that it's the supernatural Word of God used by the Holy Spirit of God to convict, to convict and instruct the person who doesn't know God and that God supernaturally brings about a born-again thing going on and that person comes to faith. They believe. They believe. So, maybe you can make that case again. Do my kids know Christ as Savior? We could pray for a whole lot of great stuff in their life, but if they don't know Jesus, then they really don't have eternal life. Quality and quantity. Well, folks, <clears throat> I'm out of time. But we're at a good point because we're at point two, and uh, I'll pick that up in two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you pray for others that might bring about a change in their life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment of being alone with God's Word here. There are probably thousands of sermons on this chapter alone because it is such an important chapter as all chapters, every word is important, but as this one comes together on the prayer of Christ, what he prayed, how he prayed about himself, the theology within the prayer, the practical application that we can draw from it, the understanding of his heart that he was fortifying his disciples with prayer, talking to God the Father about them and about us. his own self-awareness of the glory of God and glory of the Son. How wonderful that is. But right now, what about you? That you might have eternal life. Jesus says this, He that believes on me has right now everlasting life. It didn't say whoever behaves. It doesn't say whoever believes and behaves. It doesn't say whoever believes. It says whoever believes in Him, in Christ, has everlasting life. It needs the right object, Christ. It needs the right activity. It's a belief. It's done in your heart. It's done quietly and privately between you and the Lord. Yeah, outwardly it can come later on, but none of that is attached to getting saved or becoming a believer. It's something you do as a byproduct afterwards. A way to say thank you for what he's done for you on the cross and your reception of that. But right now, you do need to call upon the name of the Lord to be your Savior. And it's not so much as a prayer as it is a kind of a mental transaction. It's a transfer of trust. It's a changing of your mind, which is the true definition of repentance. It's where you now change your mind. You're changing your thinking from thinking it's by good works to only Christ. Changing your thinking from thinking you're good enough to you're lost and there's nothing you can do. Changing your mind from thinking anything else might save you to knowing that it's only Christ. It's sola fide, only faith, only grace. 
So he gets only glory. Would you right now simply say this to the Lord? Lord, I know that I've done things wrong. I know that in my heart that I'm not right and that I need your forgiveness. And I thank you that in your great love for me that you will forgive me of my sin so I will not be condemned. I thank you that you suffered my condemnation on the cross. You, you took all my punishment on that cross for me. And you'd be willing to forgive me. And that, that, that sin had to be paid for. And it was a horrible payment. But it was a glorious one because it was for me. And so, Lord, how can I turn down so great salvation? So, Lord, I, I receive you as my Savior because I'm trusting in you. And you said that if I did, I would have eternal life. I would have the Son, and I could begin to get to know you, not just intellectually, not as a historical figure, but I can experience the reality of you, Jesus Christ, in me, the hope of glory. Would you do that right now, my friend? You can't make a mistake, only God knows your thoughts, but you can make a mistake by delaying. So don't do it any longer. And I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward. I'm not going to have you do anything that might embarrass you because right now it's really something between you and the Lord. But you need to trust Christ. If you are, I'd like to pray for you. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you to slip up your hand. Now here's what you need to know. Raising your hand doesn't mean you're going to walk forward. doesn't mean I'm going to pray for you out loud. All it means is that every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'll see that hand and I'll say God bless you or thank you just for that moment so you know I saw it. Now, my praying for you won't save you, just like walking an aisle won't. But I want to know if you trusted Christ. And when I pray for you, my prayer is just that wonderful prayer of welcoming you into God's family. You became my brother and my sister in Christ. You're not joining the church right now. You're not making any promises. You'll start and stop. You're just coming just as you are, a sinner in need of a Savior. So is there anyone in here today that has placed their full faith alone in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin and now the privilege to become intimate with God, to know Him in Christ for all eternity? If you are, you're that person today, never done it before, you do it once, it's over with, today's the day you're doing it, and you'd like for me to pray for you, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all? Put your hand up, put it down. Okay, okay Christians... Think about what we've said here today and then just ask the Holy Spirit, how are you praying? Do you prepare, prepare, and post-prayer? And then when you begin your prayer, do you think back over the decisions and convictions that you have? And You're not ever perfect. I'm never perfect. No one ever is. Only Jesus is. So he could say he was perfect in all those areas that he's reciting to the Father. But he's letting us know of some areas that we might be able to look at in our own life. Now, they're not directives. Those are just, that's what he did. So we're going to kind of follow that example. He prayed for his band of guys, those 11 there. I think it spills over to us because as he prayed for them, he knew as strong as they would become, they would influence others. So maybe right now, before you pray for the general world, you pray for your little flock, your little group, or your groups if you've got many. Because when they're strong, they too will affect people we'll never see. And while you're doing it, let's always keep the glory of the Lord in mind when we do.
our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we thank you that you have chosen in your divine will to record the prayer of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And they were able to look at a little window into his prayer life. Although we know he's talked to you, we've seen some verses of that, Lord. We, we know he went away to pray. We know he told people he'd pray. pray. But Lord, to know that this is his prayer. At least the one recorded in Scripture. It's the one you wanted us to know today, 2,000 years later. So it's important for us. And Lord, I ask that you'll help us to plummet its depths a little more and to see how rich this is. Maybe make some fine-tuned adjustments. Celebrate what we're already doing and to adjust the areas that we're not. Father, it's all because we don't just have fire insurance. It's because we have eternal life and to know you for the glory of God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.